Welcome to Cloudlandia, Mr. Sullivan. Never going to leave you. Never going to leave you. Welcome to, and here I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing about Cloudlandia. Once you're in there, you can't leave. It's so convenient, you know? It's addictive. It really is. How was your week? I had a really super week. I have to tell you, I mean, it was a four-day week because of the holiday. Yeah. And it's not so much what I'm doing. It's what the company is doing. You know, there's Mm -hmm. just all sorts of independent projects which have been more or less under the surface. You know, there's, there's kind of an interesting woman from the... He's 80s, an economist by the name of Jane Jacobs. Have you ever heard okay. that name? I have not. Yeah. And, and you know, in Toronto, when they stopped the Spadina Expressway, yeah, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> what well, seems there like was middle- an- Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you know the Allen, Expre- the Allen Expressway? I do know the Allen Expressway, yeah. Well, that was supposed to be the Spadina Expressway, and it went all- okay. it was going to go all the way down to the center of the okay. city. Right, right. Right through the center of the city, and it would have gone to the gardener. It would have hooked up, and then they would have created clover leaves down at the bottom, and they would have had to re- they would have had to remove all those neighborhoods. It would have gone right through Forest Hills, actually. And I mm-hmm. think that was part of the re- part of the reason why it got stopped because wealthy people have more votes than poor people. I, I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed that. Not in my backyard. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And then the other one was the Scarborough Expressway, which, you know, the Gardner extension that went out to the beaches, you know, it went out and it was just called the Gardner. Yeah, yeah, it's completely gone. They tore tore that down one night, basically. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We were away for two days and we had it when we left. And when we got back, it was gone, you know, and but that whole area of Lake now from basically Cherry um, Street. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, you know where the gardener goes up the Don Valley? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's where you took the extension off. And they just tore it down. They tore it down in two, uh, two stages once about 10 years ago. And then they tore it down again. And so, but this was all the 40-year impact of... Jane Jacobs, okay, and she okay. she said that you have to preserve your neighborhoods if you're going to have a great city. And to tear that down, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's and it's turned Toronto into a congestion madhouse. I mean, that's the downside of it. But on the upside of it, uh, Toronto, you know, Toronto tries to call itself a uh, world class city. Have you ever come mm-hmm. across that? And what I notice is that world-class cities don't call themselves world-class cities. They just are. New York York doesn't call itself a world-class city. It just is. Mm. London doesn't call itself a world-class city. It just is. You know, so Uh if you're still calling yourself a world-class city, that means you're not. Oh, man. It's a Toronto Life Syndrome. I mean, Toronto Life Magazine. Yeah, and they're... Toronto Life Magazine. I'm very intrigued. I'm very, uh, I am very intrigued by these micro, you know, economies or micro, you know, global lenses, I guess, that we see through. And and you and I have kind of talked about the, whether that is. is, I'm talking about mainland. This is mainland stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And I wonder if that is, I wonder if that sense is diminishing now. 
that we've fully migrated. No, I think it's okay. I think yeah. it's coming back with with a vengeance, actually. Mm. You know, and my sense is that the week that COVID started in March, I think it was March 13th, Friday the 13th, I remember uh, when it visited itself upon us. When mm-hmm. clients were saying, you know, we were seeing 50% drop off in future attendance for workshops because of COVID, and it was partially. You know, but it was the lockdowns. It was the dropping off of airline flights and everything yeah. else. It's, uh, I remember. I mean, all our cash flow got taken away in about a month. Right. You know? Right. And and Mine we had too. to switch. <laughs> yeah. We had to switch to Zoom. You know. Yeah. And and we had about a three month period where we just had to rework our entire, you know, our entire business model to take all the in-person workshops and turn them over to Zoom workshops, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the upside of Cloudlandia is that if they take away your mainland existence, you have to switch to Cloudlandia to compensate. And it's a bigger opportunity, bigger, uh, broader everything. Yeah, but one of the downsides of this is that People don't feel like traveling anymore. <laughs> I mean, are you talking about No, I'm talking about us and, you know. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking about everyone you meet, you know. That, I know, uh, exactly. You know, our only time when we have full attendance during the week where we have people in the office is Wednesday, mm-hmm. Monday and Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, or when there's a in-person workshop. You have to be mm-hmm. in the... You have to be in the company on workshop days. Okay. okay. And so, but the, the thing I'm, the Jane Jacobs, the people who really got involved with the, the number one person in Toronto was Crombie, Mayor Crombie. And he was one of the forefront leaders in stopping the Spadina Expressway and the Scarborough Expressway. Okay. And so I'm just showing you the interrelationship between mm-hmm. mainland and Cloudlandia. My feeling is mm-hmm. that the more that Cloudlandia expands, the more people go back and start reinforcing their local areas. That's what I wonder so, about. This how's, that, how's, that for a topic? how's that for a topic that we didn't know about five minutes ago? Well, exactly. Uh, but I, I think that I think there is something to that, you know, like I look at the I, I think I've been I've mentioned before, like without having moved away from Toronto, like coming into Florida. And yeah, being, when's the uh, last time when's the last time you flew to Toronto? Yeah, no, it's been three years and three years. Yeah. The next time will be whenever April, if, if you April, if you decide you're going to do no, in Toronto. 12th of April is the oh, first is. Uh, Toronto. Oh, it's already set. Yeah. It okay. takes us about a year to, because yeah. we've got a guarantee that we've got a date when people can also do their 10 times workshop in person. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. you know, uh-huh. I mean, free zoners double duty. You know, they double mm-hmm. duty. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this is very exciting. Then. So, April 12th. Is yeah. on my calendar then. Okay. I'm pretty sure you're taking a statistic from Dan Sullivan here, so you, we better double check okay. on this. Well, April but it's in the cal- Friday. Yeah. It's in the calendar, and I think the free zone is on, or the 10 times is on the Thursday. 
Okay. So the 11th and 12th. All right. Well, yeah. uh, now we're talking, Dan. And then Dan is uh, on the Saturday. And that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Well, this will be this <laughs> For those who aren't listening, Table 10 is Dean and I met, meeting for lunch on, on, on a Saturday, which really got everything we're doing together started was the Table 10 that meeting. That is exactly right. Yeah. But that's a mainland. That's a mainland reality, which made a yeah, possible. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think that this now, this is where, I can, as I've reflected, I look at where I've been spending time taking snapshot comparisons this week of today and 25 years ago and seeing where we are. You know, if I look at 25 years and 30 years ago kind of thing, I look back at when I started my, you know, sort of being in the results economy or launched my entrepreneurial career in 1988. So I look at that as coming up on, you know, 35 years this year. 35 years, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And I just well, it's 35 years right now. It's 35 years. I mean, we're in the 35th right. year. So we're in yeah. the 35th year. And which, yeah. what's, what's really interesting, our program where we have workshop programs started in 1989. So next uh-huh. year is Amazing. our 30, 35th year. You know, it's yeah. year 35. So uh-huh. it's the 35th year of the program, and I'll be 80 in May, and I've been coaching for 50 years in August. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's sort of an anniversary year. Nashville in May, we're going to have our first worldwide conference in Nashville. Coach, Coach Con, yeah. Coach Con, Coach Con, yeah. Yeah, you can take that, that in two ways, Coach Con. You can take Coach Con in two ways. Yes, you can. It's the Coach Conference, or mm-hmm. it just shows you what 35 years of conning people will do for you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited about both of those. Uh, I'm very excited about both of those things. Yeah. And so where I was uh, going was, you know, in 1988, looking back at the things, it was very much a Toronto-centric kind of lens because I had spent, I left Toronto in 1984 to come down to Florida and finish up. I'd been spending a lot of time down there. I spent, you know, I spent those years and driving through this. I remember the first time driving down on my own. I had a friend with me, but driving down, going through the different cities, like going through Dayton, Ohio, and going to through Cincinnati. Ninety-five. You took Louisville you took on 95. seventy-five. Five. Five right. what we that's, took. Yeah, yeah. That's the main route to Florida. That's the main. Uh, route. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. And, you crossed and over so, at Detroit. You probably crossed. Did you cross over at Detroit? We we got a tip to cross over at Port Huron, so up further, ah, right. which was yeah, further north. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But uh, then but once you were on across, it was yep. a, it was a straight shot uh, superhighway yeah. all the way to Florida. Yeah, and the reason and is I... that um, the reason is that Canadians uh, Florida is part of their Canada. Yeah, I mean exactly. Ontario. My my Florida in my Florida includes my Canada includes Florida. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true, isn't it? It's like the the southern extension. You've got places in or things in Canadians have you know links to Florida. You're absolutely right. That's yeah, half the adult uh, population, Canadian adult population from around November to April. Well, let's say yeah. October to April includes yeah. Florida, Scottsdale. No, I was just going to say that Calgary. You look at the other side, and Calgary is, yeah, Calgary is connected to Palm Springs and Phoenix. Yes, and then Maui, because Mm. I don't know what the situation is now, but I suspect they'll go to the part that didn't burn down. Yeah, but what struck me was the newspapers. So this is what struck me is the newspapers and television stations. Because we would stay, you know, on the road. Hotel. We would hotels. Yeah, you would stay. yeah, we would stay in a hotel, and so I'd always, you know, get the newspaper. I loved that was. I've had a long time love for USA Today, which I've always kind of loved as just getting a uh, overview of everything. But it struck me how, you know, I had grown up with the lens newspaper lens being the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Sun, and the Toronto Star. And looking that, you know, without any sense of left and right leaning, you know, and didn't understand at that point, you know, the the bent of and how that shapes things. But mm-hmm. it was amazing to me that I learned, I got kind of on that deep level, these regional kind of markets. You know, it was, I don't know how to fully describe it, but it was an awakening that I knew that, hey, if you got something, you know, that worked in, you know, it was kind of like this franchise idea, seeing franchise thinking in place, you know, in, in yeah. that different uh, places and seeing the Cracker Barrel restaurants, you have the same exact <clears throat> Cracker Barrel experience at any drop-off point along Highway 75, you know? And yep. so... And Red Roof was, Yeah, well, they, at the time, the thing was... I mean, uh, in like those days... Like, it was the new uh, yeah. model, yeah, yeah. For young college students traveling abroad, <laughs> right? Yeah. And But it was so great. And that level of, you know, I you wouldn't have any window into Louisville, Kentucky, unless you're passing through Louisville and you tune in to the Louisville echo chamber or ecosystem where you're seeing Mm -hmm. the Louisville anchors and the news and the the local things, and you're reading the Louisville newspaper, you know? And And then Macon, Macon, Georgia. Yeah, Macon and and everything. Because you usually made... Yeah, I always remember that we shot for Louisville or Lexington on the first yeah, night. Lexington, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, but we never saw any of the horse farms. <laughs> well, you did, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the, the 75 went past the... But you yeah. you never got off. Yeah. 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 You, you had oases, which were franchise oases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, you know what you're going to, you know what you're going to get, you know? But now I see now how those things are 
like with the rise of Cloudlandia, the access to what's going on on a national scale and global scale kind of thing is went direct to the individual. You know, now you've got access to everything. And I've been, do you follow or is on your list of news outlets? Do you come to Daily Wire? Is that part of your routine? Or no, are you familiar that's with? not one of mine. Do you know about I'm the a, Daily Wire? I've heard of it, but I, that's not really what I, you know, it's not. Well, no, I mean, I'll look at it now that, you're, now that you're talking about it. I'll look at it. Well, you know. Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro is the one. I know Ben. He's the guy oh, that started well, I, the Daily Wire. Yeah. I'm a Breitbart, now, I'm a Breitbart okay. guy. I, I check so, Daily Caller, Town Hall, Breitbart, you know. Yeah, well, and, the Daily Wire is now a $200 million, you know, they do $200 million a year now. And they just, last year, if you think about the VCR formula, and the, the reason I'm bringing up the Daily Wire is that is a Cloudlandia-centric media empire that was started 100% to be online and took advantage of one, you know, they tapped into Facebook's reach and they funneled those people into get readership and get subscribers to their news uh, mm-hmm. service and use that money to buy more attention on Facebook. That was the whole very simple model and they executed it flawlessly you know and mm-hmm. so they built this huge reach and they had a relationship with harry's razors do you remember oh the, yeah like yeah. dollar shave yeah. club and mm-hmm. harry's razors yeah. okay so harry's razors was a big advertiser on daily wire doing very successfully and then harry's took exception to some content on the Daily Wire that suggested that men are men and women are women. And that would... Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like touching the third rail of the subway. (laughs) Absolutely. And they dropped. They stopped advertising. But what Jeremy Boringer, I think is the guy's name, who's the CEO of the company, what they did was they started on the backs of that a company called Jeremy's razors and they built this whole they did a whole ad launching the process because they've it's their own audience they were already very successfully selling harry's razors to their audience by letting harry's tap into their reach and Mm -hmm. so when harry's left instead of looking for somebody to replace harry's as an advertising partner, they said, well, we'll just make the razors ourselves. And they started Jeremy's Razors. And now Jeremy's Razors is a huge, you know, subscription-based company (laughs) speaking directly to the reach that they've built with (laughs) the media (laughs) company. (laughs) And it struck me that now we're getting to where these very specialized, I don't think we're separating geographically as much as 
we're a lot ideologically now that there's yeah. brands for the right and there's brands for the left and there's yeah. you know there's woke brands and there's I won't say successful yeah. brands now, but the, I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's, I think the writing's on the well, wall. Well, I'll tell you, kind of... I'll tell you, uh, can I tell you an earlier uh, crossover uh, that set yeah. that up? Yeah. Um, well, actually, FM radio was technologically possible in the 1930s and 1940s, but it was never approved by the FEC until the 1970s. Actually, there was about a 40-year thing where the federal, what's the FCC, Federal Communications, they couldn't get it passed for, even though it was available. And, and but FM is strictly a local radio reach. You know, during the day, you can get about maybe 30 miles. You lived in Georgetown, I think, when you lived yeah. in Toronto, right? That's well, right. you could get CJRT, which was an FM mm-hmm. station. And mm-hmm. you could, but uh, once you got, let's say, up to Orangeville or Newcastle, you couldn't get uh, CJRT anymore. Okay, because mm-hmm. FM is uh, gets interrupted by solar energy during the day. Uh, AM, we when I was growing up, I could listen to New York, I could listen to Chicago. Yeah, I remember you, on a clear night, I, real clear nights, I could get New Orleans. Uh, Philadelphia was easy. Boston was easy on AM. Because it's a different bandwidth, okay, and it mm-hmm. doesn't get interfered with by the sun, but the sun won't let FM go further than about 30 or 40 miles. It's not true anymore because all the FM stations now go on the internet, you know, so right. it's an internet delivery. So I can get Los Angeles Jazz Station on, you know, on the internet, uh, and they're taking advantage of the internet. But what happened was it was AT AT really controlled the AM spectrum, AT and T. I mean, they talk about the dominant technologies, you know, Google and uh, Meta and you know and everything. They talk about it today, you know, Amazon. That nobody they didn't get up to the knees that the type of uh, control that AT and T had. Okay, and AT and T didn't want any competition for its AM networks. And they came in, and the but because FM is a local, it's a, you know it's a region, it's where you are, you get FM radio. Right. The universities are the ones who started it all. Okay, so in you know CJRT was Ryerson in Toronto, and everywhere yeah. you went, like if you went to Louisville, it would be the University of Louisville, you know, uh-huh. and and everything else, and so. Right off the bat, the ideology of the universities by that time was left. You know, that was where the left-wing people, you know, symphony music, and it was, you know, the various FM stations. And they abandoned, AM got abandoned, and the right took over AM radio, you know. And Ross Limbaugh was the first person who really took advantage of that. And this was strictly the right side of the political spectrum. Okay, mm-hmm. so AM talk radio, AM talk radio, if the left tried to get into talk radio, nobody would listen to it. Okay, nobody. Mm. So the, you know, and so what happened, you already had that ideological split at the radio stage. Okay, 
So if you were a left-wing and you were driving to Florida, you would go from university town to university town and pick up the uh, FM station, but you wouldn't listen to AM radio anymore. So that was the first split before you ever got to, you know, you got to the internet. That split had already happened in the radio spectrum. Yeah. Amazing. That was before you were born. Right, right, right. That's something. I mean, so it is. But you're I mean, imagine something. Ha- imagine, Dean, something happened in the world before you were born. It is so funny. But I look at that, you know, <laughs> and it is like it's it's amazing to see how this is going, and certainly, Cloudlandia is enabling that. And my to bring it over back around to the what we started talking about with the local saving the neighborhoods kind of thing is yeah i wonder if we're starting to see geography kind of shaping up here that florida and texas are becoming like sort of you know conservative yeah you know safe kind of thing that they're gathering all the people there yeah yeah, and they've surpassed New York. They've or they've surpassed New York State. They've surpassed Illinois. They've surpassed California. You know, right. these states. People are leaving those states and going to Florida, and they're going to mm-hmm. Texas. And yeah, so. But I believe in Moore's law, which essentially is the, you know, the technological formula that's created uh, Cloudlandia is Moore's law. Mm-hmm. But uh, mainland is controlled by Newton's law. <laughs> and exactly. Newton's third law, I mean, uh, Moore's law is that every 18 to two years, the computing power of a microchip will double and the price yeah. of it will cut in half. That's the, yeah. We've lived in that world for the last 50 years. And, yeah. uh, but, but Newton's law is for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Yeah. So if you... Uh-huh. Yeah, so so you got to look at both laws, and I wonder because you know, one law so triggers the yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting to see the like. I wonder if you were to you know, are we bringing back now the importance of the local infrastructure, the local yeah. like, what is the role of the community now in our lives, in our world? I mean, I feel like I'm. It's getting narrower. I'm less and less like inclined to have to travel to other places, and it's funny, you know. I don't know. It just well, seems I like won't travel. A, I mean, except for my own workshops, I won't travel. For yeah, business. I won't travel right. for any uh, anything, and uh, you know, and I mean, all my speeches when I used to give speeches are now, pod- mm-hmm. yeah, you know, where I would be invited to a big conference. And I cut that off in 2013. I, I just, did I say, you know, you can have me as a speaker, but it's going to be, it's going to be a podcast at the conference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's see, that's kind of the way I've been doing things too, is zooming in as opposed yeah. to traveling and flying in. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. it's easy because, you know, you're doing whatever you're doing at the Four Seasons Valhalla. And then yeah. you're someplace else in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true, right? Yeah. So, but people think that because there's a new realm available, that eliminates all the previous realms, but actually just the opposite happens. 
Yeah, I posted, and it's so, I think about how we really have the ability to be a, a beacon, you know. I remember Jamie Smart. I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. met Jamie. You, yeah. you know Jamie? Well, I know of him. I know of him, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, wrote Clarity. Just and I, when we were doing all the big seminars, you know, when we stopped doing that in 2009, that was a big, you know, big shift in our world, you know, in terms of having spent 15 years every single month doing a big event somewhere new. Mm-hmm. We're in the, the mm-hmm. Joe was having a conversation with Jamie about that, and he was like, because for him, it had been even longer, you know, doing that as his identity of being the speaker going to town and being on stage. And Jamie talked about it as a transition from going from being a torch bearer where you have to take the torch and go city to city to spread the message to switching to being a lighthouse where you stay in one and beam <laughs> yeah. your light from when, and everybody comes to you. And that, that was a big shift. And, you know, even then, I mean, 2009, the Internet was here and, and all the infrastructure and everything was here, but it certainly wasn't the same place as it is now. Zoom and all that stuff was not yet. But now oh, it's just, I look at it and you, you start to see, man, there's just so many, so many ways to reach the world from your little, from your Zoom room, you know, from, you can really mm-hmm. have a global, there's nothing stopping you from having a global broadcasting center in a six by yeah. six room in your house, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we got, you were uh, very helpful to us because, you know, we had that flood in our uh, yeah. Fraser Street uh, building and we were knocked out. I mean, we had just come back from, you know, lockdown from COVID lockdown and we got three months in and we had a, the city water main mm-hmm. next to our building went underground and it just destroyed our my recording studios, our tech team, where our tech team was, where all of our materials were, but they closed the building down because the city inspectors had to come in and they had to check out. Maybe the whole building had to come down because the support structures may have been weakened and they'll just condemn the building. But we were out for eight months before we could get back in, you know, Mm -hmm. and but in destroying our recording studio we had we had a company toronto is a great post-production center for the mm-hmm. film industry you know so it's, it depends yeah. upon the canadian dollar if the canadian dollar is really weak film studios in the united states ship their post-production work you know of editing mm-hmm. and everything and there's about 15 movie studios tv and movie studios in the toronto area all the way from mm-hmm. Pickering to Hamilton, you know, now these are big studios, but they do all their inside. They bring all their inside work to Toronto, and now they're Mm -hmm. creating actual virtual towns with CGI. So did you catch any of the Jack Reacher series? I did not. Uh -uh. 
It was a huge hit, but the town that's depicted where Jack Reacher is, it's a small town in Georgia. The first season was a small town in Georgia. It was one Mm -hmm. Lee Child book, Jack Reacher. And that entire town was created in CGI. It doesn't exactly exist. But when you look at it, uh, and then all the inside scenes were constructed in the film studios, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the homes and everything like that. But that shows you the relationship between Cloudlandia and the mainland, okay? Because once you cross an international border, you're in a different currency system. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, I mean, yeah, digitally, I mean, so many things are possible now. I posted up a video. The the one thing that remains constant is the U.S. dollar, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, the U.S. dollar, and people say, well... Why does everybody use the U.S. dollar? And I said, you just answered your question. It's right there. Just back does, up to the first part of your sentence. Why does everybody, yeah. you know, that's like. The, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like English. Why does everybody speak English? I said, you just answered your question. That's like the Yogi Berra. Nobody goes there anymore. Yeah. It's too crowded, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and so the the big thing is that since 1989, the differential, the average differential between the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar has been 26 percent in favor of the American dollar. So we get 80 percent of it our now? dollars. It's dollar 36, dollar 36 right now. Are you crazy? Wow, that's crazy. So I, I checked the number. Every, I checked the number. You no, know, because. In 1970, it was $1.55. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But it's been hanging around in the mid-30s, 30% now for, I would say, the last three or four years. It's been... Yeah, right. Yeah. It could be as low as 30%. It got up to 42%. But that... So we didn't plan it this way. It was just a lucky break for us that we started Mm -hmm. in Toronto. And so 80% of our income is in U.S. dollars, but 80% of our expenses are in Canadian dollars and basically you can buy the same thing with a Canadian dollar in Canada as you can mm-hmm. with a U.S. dollar in the United States. So we've got, mm-hmm. we don't have 26% because it's 80%, it's not 100 mm-hmm. but but we've averaged 20% for three, four years, we've averaged. So every dollar that comes across, it's worth a dollar twenty if it comes across from the United States. Yeah, right. Wow. And that's kind of this yeah, is where well that's where you I'm the wondering about the infrastructure, you know the infrastructure things of being able to now you know build with a main or a Cloudlandia audience reach with all the but with the capabilities or the expenses and physical delivery stuff happening in the most favorable you know mainland place. And I wonder if yep. that's the opportunity that geographically, you know, places will get, will become sort of specialist in certain things. Well, that has been the case actually for the last 30 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's because of one factor that 90% of global trade, 90%. So every day, the all the transactions in the world, it's like, you know, it can be like four trillion to six and a half trillion every day, the total value of it. Well, mm-hmm. 85% of it is in U.S. dollars. Okay, is yeah. in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, all of it is 90% of all global trade happens on water. Is that right? Yeah, 90% mm-hmm. of all global interactions. And, you know, the if you just yeah. take a look, that sure. uh, it's water travel. And that's only mm-hmm. safe because of one factor, and that's the U.S. Navy. And since, wow. you know, since the, and that was all, that wasn't for economic purposes for the U.S. It, was, it wasn't at all for U.S. You know, the, the everybody says, well, the Americans, you know, they just did this for their economic. The, actually, the U.S., you know how much ten, how much percentage of the U.S. economy is actually involved in cross-border trade? Ten percent. Wow. The other 90 percent is just Americans making stuff and selling it to Americans. So the U.S. really doesn't isn't really that involved in the world. But they had a problem after the Second World War, and it was called the Soviet Union. And so what they did after the war said, you know, we don't want to fight the Russians head on. So what we'll do, we'll just create a great economic deal with every other country in the world that's not communist. And uh, we'll promise them that will guarantee all their trade routes by water Mm -hmm. and they can sell anything they want into the U.S. without any tariffs. And it was a great deal. Modern China only exists because the U.S. guaranteed all their trade. And now the U.S. has decided not to guarantee their trade, their water transportation. And that's why China's hit a wall, you know. And, And so, I mean, but it's really interesting Dean, you're the one who came up with the Cloudlandia idea on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, but what I've been examining more and more is what happens if the if Cloudlandia changes your ability to communicate and travel, you know, physically. It's not like the mainland's going to be the same after that. I mean, if you make a change in one realm, it's going to make changes. I think this localization is now the so if you're globalizing on the one hand, you're localizing on the other because you got to balance mm-hmm. the two out. That's yeah, what so I wonder now, and I don't see. I'm starting to see like there's some shifts in the way that you know. I think that cities or towns. I'm oh, yeah. I can just speak about for Winter Haven. That what I'm noticing a lot of development in is Winter Haven is sort of focused on the downtown on making that kind of a more vibrant gathering center. It's not, you know, spread out like within strip plazas, like it was in the seventies. And and it's not Mm -hmm. about the mall. Now it's about the downtown and they're taking kind of this ghost kitchen or, you know, model but building it around social spaces. So there's two or three now of these developing areas where they've got multiple restaurants in one gathering place, right? So it becomes like a social hub where you can go there and they have live music and people gathering but you can eat at whatever, eat whatever type of food you want. So it's yeah. not like going inside to Can a, I ask um, you a question? I mean, yeah. Winter Haven's a fairly small geographic area, but are there um, new, uh, but there's new, are there new residence buildings going up where the social oh, centers? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's building. the thing. Yeah, yeah, because the internet, the, you know, the um, interstate highway system had bypassed all the downtowns. You know, back right. in the fifties, yeah. or the right. You know, the the interstate highway system in the United States is the greatest public works project in the history of the world. It's about sixty-three thousand miles now, and they add about another mm-hmm. five hundred miles every every uh, year. You know, bypasses and connectors and everything like that. So it's a never-ending project. But in the fifties, it just bankrupted almost every small town in the United States when it you had to go through the small. If you we went to Florida in 1956. And it was small town after small town after small town. And there was no Interstate 75. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, that's kind of like Route 66 was going across yep. the country, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can still take yeah. Route 66, but it's small town after small town. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Dying I mean, small town to, after small town. Yeah. Just listen to the the words of the the song. You know, Route 66, and it tells mm-hmm. you all the small. And none of them were big cities. They were small towns you went through. Yeah. 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 So we're we're creating an interesting model here that Moore's Law is expanding, you know, one realm. But the Moore's Law or uh, Newton's Law says, yeah, if you do that in Cloudlandia, then there's going to be a decentralization that goes on in the mainland. So winter, I mean, you'll probably have people who, you know, more or less spend their life in winter winter haven because anywhere they want to go elsewise, they'll do it in Cloudlandia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. I just looked up the winter haven, the population right now is 57,000. So, yeah. And I I, I see you. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the malls, Mark Mills wrote a great book. Mark Mills is an economist in the Manhattan Institute, I think it's the Manhattan Institute, which, as you, the name suggests, is a think tank in mm-hmm. New York City. And uh, but he writes about uh, the malls. He's got a whole chapter on the malls, and he says the malls are going to—they're being abandoned. There's about a thousand failed shopping malls in the United States. At any given time, there's about a thousand mm-hmm. that have been abandoned. You know, they just go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And he says they're going to be turned into factories or they're or going to, they're going to be I mean, that's what the, warehouses, that's what, shipping centers. And they're beautiful because they, they've got parking for all the work parking. They've already got uh, all the, you know, the delivery sites, like they have the, uh, the delivering docks and, you know, yeah, under, loading docks, right. Mm-hmm. The loading dock, they've got all the loading docks. They got massive amounts of space. And he says that they're going to be, robotic and automated factories that's it's amazing it's so it's such an amazing time to be alive right now you know i mean you think about where the things that are ready to implement that are all here right now you know i don't know that the next thing like as i mentioned i was doing snapshot comparisons of you know day day to day 1988 versus today. And yeah. I was with, I, I said to Stuart, Stuart, my operations guy was with me. We were going, we went to the movie studio, movie grill here mm-hmm. 
in about you know, 30, 40 minutes away. And I, I started recounting the day with him, like as we were, I was in these comparisons, I was saying, okay, so here's how the day started. I him in the morning and said, you know, let's go to the movie. I forget what movie was out, but it was a, a great movie that was had just come out that day or whatever. And so we were going to go for lunch and go to the movie there because they have Studio Movie Grill is like a dine-in theater. So you go and they bring you food and, and everything. So started out with the text of that. Then I went to the studio, my video studio, recorded a, a video. Then I, Stuart and I left from there. I bought the tickets for the movie online through Fandango and, you know, bought the tickets in advance. So we, all we had to do was scan the barcode. They just scanned it on my phone when we got there. But the Tesla drove us there using the autopilot uh, function. So we were driven to the movie. We got in our seats without having to go to the thing. We scanned a QR code for the menu of what to get. We pushed the button. They came and took our order, brought us the food. We got back in the car, had set the coordinates. The car starts driving us. We were listening to a podcast on the way back. And it just, in that moment, just that little thing, there's not a single mm-hmm. element of that day that was possible in 1988. Yeah. I will remind you that in 1988, you probably said, what an amazing time to be alive. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that that was like what I got. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at this, the yeah. fax machine. Are you kidding me? We can send a piece of paper over the telephone. What do yeah. they think of next? Yeah. Now I'm going to, we've got a mainland collision happening in about five minutes. Okay. Okay. And that is from when we started today to when we finished, because I'm visiting Winter Haven from, I'm in Chicago today, so I'm visiting Winter Haven, Florida from 10 o'clock to two minutes to 11. But in 11, I have to go to Vienna, Austria and have an hour's talk with Kim White. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I got to get on the the flight to Vienna, right? Yeah. Well, it's a click, actually. (laughs) Yeah, the Zoom. I got to get in. Well, I have to switch off. I have to switch over from my phone to my computer because it's on Zoom. Mm. And and anyway, but that, uh, I mean, what we're seeing here is you and I are, you know, we're early adapters. You know, you and I are early adapters. So I say, okay, the world's changed. So how do I have to change? You know, that's my yeah. basic response. And, right. and uh, all of us got sent to boot camp two years during the COVID lockdown. And mm-hmm. we might not have chosen the route that we're on right now, but we were forced to, you know, we were forced to. Right. Was, right. Yeah. You know, I have a goal of never being on welfare during the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I like to make my own money and uh, everything. But it's an interesting thing. But more and more, I think that you have to take both Moore's Law and Newton's Third Law into account because one of them explains the virtual world and Cloudlandia world, but Mm -hmm. the other one explains what happens to the mainland when the Cloudlandia keeps getting bigger and bigger the mainland keeps getting more and more local like winter haven mm. yeah so yeah Boy, but you got to uh, you got to be good at operating in both worlds yeah you're right now and staying off welfare that well you, you know dan there's this welfare. little thing there's a thing called cash confidence and most people think it's about <laughs> having an amount of money but what it's really about is having an ability to create value for other people so as long you as bet. you keep focused on that you're going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. This is really, yeah. And I'm feeling very good going on 80 that I'm starting to get good at living. Yeah. So amazing, isn't it? What a world. Yeah. What a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, well, the, the most amazing, you know, the most amazing part of being alive, being alive. Yeah. That is <laughs> part of it all. That is exactly right. <laughs> That is exactly right. It beats the alternative, you know. And it's funny. The answer, watching, uh, the answer is in the answer is in the question. <laughs> yeah, I just heard uh, Deion Sanders was talking about how the whole oh. our whole body, every, everything about yeah. us, is oriented for moving you know, forward. It'd be neat if Colorado ends up in the playoffs and the fourteen playoffs. Oh, I mean, well, they just beat Nebraska yesterday, so they're two and zero Badly. right now. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just maybe. It, it's the most amazing thing to watch. But Dia was saying, our, we're meant for moving forward. Our eyes look forward. Our ears yeah. are perfectly positioned to bring us all the sound and everything from in front of us. Our mouths are meant to project forward. There's only one part of our body that points backward. And that's the exhaust. That's where, that's where all the waste, you leave all the waste behind you. And you keep moving forward. I guess evolution figured this out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Not a problem. Don't worry about what's happening behind there. Don't look back. Just keep moving forward. You know, that, sure I think you- in our years of doing the podcast, I think that's the greatest closing statement we've ever had. <laughs> well, it struck me as just, that's the first time I've ever heard it explained like that, but it's absolutely true. So that's why it's even more important to be the lead guy in the line. You don't want to be that. Yeah. It's like sled dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you're not... You know, with sled dogs, if you're not the lead dog, the future always looks the same. Oh, man. What a day. All, All right. right. Well, give my best to We've Daniel got a date. And, uh, uh, we've got a date next. If you're up to it, we've got a next Sunday uh, oh yeah, I know. I'm in Chicago fixture. today, so I'll I'm in Chicago today, so I'll be I'll be back in Toronto next week. No, it's a permanent fixture in my calendar. All right. Thanks a lot, Dean. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye.